0: Hello to everybody in the podcasting universe. We hope you're well and safe wherever this finds you and wherever you're listening to us. Today is a bit of a unique show. This COVID-19 has caused us to come off of our usual track of finding people who we find are everyday amazing and interviewing them and telling their stories. The last episode released was slightly different, uh, as is this one as well. Right now I'm talking to you on Sunday, April 26th, and this episode's release is set for the next day, the 27th, so wherever you find yourself listening to this, it's probably the 27th or later. This episode was actually recorded on April the 22nd, and I don't think too much has changed between now and then, but things tend to change quickly as we navigate our way through uh, through these circumstances. The reason this episode is unique is A very good friend of mine and someone who I would refer to as my counselor or therapist uh, reached out to me some time ago during this, uh, this COVID outbreak and asked me if I'd be willing to do an interview focused on leadership in times of struggle and anxiety. And I jumped at the opportunity naturally because I like to talk and I have a lot of respect for this individual whose name happens to be John Radford. And the original intent is that he was going to use this interview for his own purposes. But upon more consideration and after listening to it, I have decided to release it as an episode. So I find it fitting to uh, introduce it in a different way and also perhaps give a few disclaimers uh, as well as introduce John uh, to the audience and all that he brings to the table because he is uh, an amazing human. So this interview is a little bit like a counseling session in that John is interviewing me. I get authentic and honest as I do in my sessions with him. And so I'll ask for your forgiveness, if that makes sense in advance, uh, because some of the conversation is personal. Some of my answers are real and raw. And while they're not intended to offend anyone in one way or the other, uh, in order to keep the conversation uh, on track with what it needed to be and hold the integrity of it, uh, I did have this conversation as though there wasn't someone listening, yet we've decided to release it publicly. The other thing I want to do here is introduce John to you and just give you a little bit of a perspective on who he is and what he does, because he is just an absolutely fascinating human. And uh, in in rereading his bio, um, I'm even chuckling to myself and wondering how it is that I came to meet him and just how lucky I am to have him in my life. I'll start by saying that I met John originally in 2012. I was referred to him by a very dear friend of mine who I consider a mentor. And I found myself uh, in a season of life where I was uh, just, uh, I don't know, questioning some, some things and wondering what direction to take on a number of issues. And I'd never... Uh, or I I shouldn't say I'd never had engaged in counseling, but I hadn't engaged in counseling for some time. And as I mentioned, John came as a referral and he's been in my life since that time. And I've engaged and re-engaged with him on numerous occasions. Most recently, I re-engaged with John earlier this year, pre-COVID. And uh, as it turns out, the timing has been fantastic because he has walked the last number of months with me and has been a significant help and support as I have traversed these times, both personally and on a business level. So, let me give you a quick intro before we get to the interview. John is recognized in the area of trust and conflict. He is also the co owner of Transpectives Consulting Incorporated, which seeks to transform conflict by changing perspective. His experience and skill set are ideally suited to working with family business transactions, facilitating strategic decisions based on the reality of the competitive business world and family dynamics. Another major focus of his work has been on setting up business transitions and corporate mergers and acquisitions for success. The mark of his approach is the identification of pivotal leverage points to affect structural and relational changes necessary for sustainable business competitive advantage. Now John's conflict expertise has roots back to the final decade of the apartheid era, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, when he worked in the South African violence-torn townships to build capacity for conflict as a foundation for the hope for peaceful social transition. His work ultimately helped lay the foundation for the South African Truth and Reconciliation Commission under Nelson Mandela's leadership. John has a PhD in organizational psychology from the University of Natal, South Africa. He is a registered mediator with MediAPC. He has also received International Education in Deep-Rooted Conflict Facilitation from the Institute for Conflict Analysis and Resolution, George Mason University, and John Hopkins Institute for Peace. He is a founding associate faculty member for the Royal Roads University Master's Program in Conflict Analysis and Management, and a past chair, full professor in the School of Management Studies at the University of Cape Town. That is a mouthful, and you get the point. John Radford is an unbelievable human, and I'm blessed to have him in my life. I hope that you enjoy this interview as much as I did. It's real. It's authentic. It's all of me discussing with John the challenges and traversing COVID-19 from a leadership perspective. Without further ado, I bring you our interview and John Radford. Okay, I'm good, my friend.
1: Right. Okay. So I've been working on a A series here around how you build agile teams in uncertain times. And uh, I've got a really interesting guest here today. Uh, But before I introduce him, just want to say that part of the challenge, uh, and it, it links to the COVID 19, certainly, because that's what we're in and that's what we're facing. But what typically happens when leaders face uncertain times, and particularly their teams, is they tend to hunker down take stock and begin to manage that risk in some way, which is appropriate, that's exactly what one needs to do. However, uh, what one in addition to that needs when there's an uncertain future is agility. We need teams that are exploring options, that are able to move quickly, that are planning, but not just limiting themselves to current frameworks, but exploring others. Um, So the agility of a team is quite critical. And what also happens is under threat. So when there's uncertainty, we tend as human beings to take that in as threat. And there's genuine threat uh, with this pandemic uh, around health, but there's also a threat around economy and a number of associated factors linked to it. When there's threat, we tend to close down our thinking. So it becomes very, fast and very narrow. So it moves from our neocortex back to our amygdala. Um, And in that process, what happens is we get, uh, it's much faster in terms of processing, but very much simple. So it's very simple. It's like, we need to fight this, we need to flight to get out, or we freeze in terms of brain functioning. So our thinking becomes much more narrow and much more defined, often defined by what's happened in the past. So, we have a challenge because our natural thing as human beings is to close down our thinking and become very much more focused on a specific issue and get to either act on terms of that fight, flight, um, or freeze. So, the challenge for a leader is how do we open up the possibilities with the team? How do we create agile teams in the face of the threat of uncertainty? And so, today, I'm very pleased to to welcome, and we were talking last week, um, Andrew Bracewell. I'm going to let Andrew introduce himself here, but Andrew Bracewell into this conversation. I just want to talk to him about how he's uh, approaching this challenge as a leader. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Andrew.
0: Yeah. So um, I am a uh, 17 year real estate agent uh, in the greater Vancouver area. um, But in the last uh, handful of years, have uh, in addition to still, still, still selling real estate, uh, I've purchased the company that I was a part of for many, many years. And so now from a leadership position, uh, I'm, in, I'm an owner of an office that has five locations uh, throughout the greater Vancouver and Fraser Valley area, and we have roughly 200 agents uh, in those five locations. And then at any given time, we run anywhere between 20 and 25 staff members.
1: Right. So, so, in fact, you you own and lead a fairly big business, uh, also unique because each one of those agents, has uh, they work as part of a strategy in the work that they do, um, but each of them run their own business. So, it's really like a bunch of entrepreneurs that you have working with you um, uh, in achieving what you want to achieve. So, I, before we talk about them, I want to just ask you, uh, from your point of view, Andrew, When you think about what's going on right now, let us into your thinking. Let us into the way you think about it, the way you even approach this threat, um, both in terms of the environment in which we're living and the business which you're leading.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, I think I kind of break it up into different categories. Um, So one piece is the actual uh, health piece, if you want to call it that, like the actual possible threat of this disease that we're learning about. Uh, and then another category that I, that I, or a lens that I look at it through is, you know, aside from the health threat, what is the threat in the business and then what's going on in terms of revenues and changes, uh, as a result of it that, you know, that we have to adapt to. Um, and then the third lens that I, um, Keenly aware of and grappling with is what's going on on, I don't even know if this is, would be the right language to use, but what's happening at the human level in terms of emotionally and psychologically to people, and then just learning to adapt and grapple with that and and you know, lead in the best way possible. So there's I and I have different opinions on each of those three categories that uh, some people would might agree with and some people might find controversial. So I guess my question would be which one do you want me to talk about?
1: I mean, I, I think it might be useful to go with, I mean, the health is, as you say, we're learning about this whole thing. So I, my sense, and there's lots of information about it. I think if you're okay, Andrew, why don't we focus on two areas, that business side um, and what that means from your business point of view. And then let's go from that into the, the as you say, the human, the the, the person side, the mm-hmm. what's going on for the people in your business and those that they're serving or potential clients. Yeah. So can we do that? Would yeah, that
0: sure. Yeah. So so on the business side, I mean, uh, what became evident very, very clearly is that, uh, you know, be, because of, you know, what's going on on a government level and locking down of our cities, our countries, um, you know, from a practical standpoint, the revenue in my business was going to shift drastically very, very quickly. Right. So, you know, there was in that moment you can either kind of freeze and panic and when you freeze kind of fear takes over or you just get active right away and you start to say well okay well the world's going to be different revenues are going to be different and we need to create uh, new budgets and forecasts based on you know the revenues that we can predict and and even understanding that predicting right now is is an educated best guess at best because we've never been here before but if you can start to put numbers to the language and say, well, you know, here's what we perceive to be happening. Here's where we perceive our revenues to be based on a three or four month forecast. Then from there, we can start to recreate new budgets and, and cut back costs where we can. And um, and you can hopefully the goal is, is to end up in a place where you can have a concrete, um, what's the word? I'm not emotional, but a, a concrete, Conversation that that has numbers to it. Uh, what I what I observed in this time was that uh, fear statements came out of a place of unknowing. But the moment we could start to put something on paper and say, well, as, as as fearful as we are, let's still try to pretend that we can forecast. And then when you put numbers down on paper and you create new budgets based on those new numbers, uh, fear kind of fades away, and you know you just look and say, well, you know, this is the new world we got to adapt and live in. And and what's come out of that for for us on the business side is that um it actually, you know, as as much as you don't like some of the change and we didn't like laying some people off and we don't like making the cuts, we we have to this point anyway, figured out a, a new way to live moving forward. And it's it's quite a invigorating, freeing experience. Um and it's become actually a real rallying cry. Uh, in our company, because it, you know everybody was forced to work very hard together and and do some uncomfortable things and um, and it's actually been a beautiful thing to watch
1: i mean it's quite quite interesting because what Andrew's done here, what you've done, andrew, is to to take on the business side you've done a number of things that that are proven historically when people are faced with uncertainty are valuable to do. so one of the things you've done is as the information's come in, together with your team, you, you haven't backed off it. You've actually gone into it. You've faced it. I would use the word face it. So so Andrew's actually faced what's going on. But, but it's not just facing and saying, well, you know what this is and we'll stand firm together. It, it is that. But you've gone further, which is the second point, uh, which is to what I call hold it. And that's where you begin to explore the the metrics to get, and if they're not metrics, you begin to explore the reality of what this really means, rather than jumping to assumptions, looking to because there's a lot of as you say when there's fear, we tend to do that, Andrew. We tend to go to perhaps the extremes uh, in some form. And you just bring it. Uh, it sounds like you do it fairly gently, but I'll, I'll ask you about that. You bring people back to what is what's actually going on here? Like you say, um, what's happening? Let's bring it down to the figures. I mean, what happens to your team when uh, just go on to that a little bit more, but when you actually come down and look at those figures, what happens to them? And what do you notice?
0: In the numbers or in the people?
1: Sorry, in the people. So, so in, yeah, in the way they respond to that. Yeah.
0: yeah. Great question. So, so what I, what I recognized is that, um, the word that I used in these conversations was I wanted to be able to quantify the fear. So, you know, a couple of examples uh, would be, uh, you know, maybe an employee in the company, a fear statement might be, well, we can't do this anymore because who knows where we might be a month from now. And it would be around, the conversation would be around maybe spending money on something or it'd be an initiative that that was a part of our regular business. But the, the, there was a sentiment amongst either an individual or multiple individuals said, we can't do that anymore because who knows where we're going to be. Yeah. So then my response in that moment is not to argue that we may be in a worse place a month from now. I, I think that's a completely fair statement, but I want to, I want to press into that and say, well, I'm willing to have everything on the table so long as everybody's willing to, uh, quantify their fearful statements. So we had to where I drew a line and I would even say I got aggressive with, you know, not anyone in particular, but aggressive with my company as a whole. I said we, we are not going to allow ourselves to do that. If we are afraid of something, we are going to force ourselves to quantify the statement and say, so if we're used to a quantity or a metric of, uh, you know, in a particular conversation, and we're afraid that that number is going to go down. We can't just say, well, we can't do this anymore because that's going down. We have to say, well, we're going to force ourselves to make some projections based on logical thoughts and conversations. And then we're going to say, well, we think it's going to be 20 instead of 50. And the good news is, is that now we have something we can work with because with 20, I can now make decisions. And what I found through that process is two things. Number one, we were better off financially than our greatest fears would have let us believe. Right. Right. And, and, but more importantly than that is when you force yourself to go through a, what I would say the, the non emotive exercise of quantifying a conversation, you, you take away the power and the fear. And now you're looking at something on a piece of paper and you're, you're, you're very analytical in your decision-making and, and what it allows everybody to do in the group because you've got all kinds of people in the conversation, different personality types, people come from different economic perspectives. like You've got a lot of variables there, but you, you bring the conversation onto a platform that no matter who the individual is in the conversation, we can all agree on this right. because this is something practical that's in front of us. And now, you know, Everybody understands the the thought process in the decision-making that's that's being made.
1: I really, I I just want to, it's so great what Andrew's doing because what he's, as a team, for himself, but also with his team, he's facing it, holding it, and exploring those details. Then note the third piece he does, which is really critical. Uh, I call it uh, to explore it, um, which is getting perspective. So what you've done there, Andrew, as you've just explained to us, uh, you're starting to look at at what does the information show you, not just in terms of current, but the tension between the current and this options or uncertain future that you face. So, so there's a tension between that um, that that you actually are together facing. In that perspective, as you said, we actually kind of look at that together. We explore it, what you're doing, and you uh, is is as you say. We, we are facing it, holding it there, and then beginning to explore what are those options? What are the things we've got? And suddenly your team settles, right? They do, and you start to see the options, or they start to see it with you. And everything kind of settles down, and not completely, but enough to be able to, as you say, make the decisions, uh, to be able to act on it, which is the first, uh, sorry, the last step for, is to then be able to act on what's happening. Um, just for your team, if, just talk to me a little bit about how, as you've taken them through that kind of process and its different forms, what have you seen? What have you observed in them, right, as team members? Uh, and, and because there's all, and, and you've got a large team. I mean, you've got an administrative side of this, but you've actually got a whole groups and teams and offices of of entrepreneurs out there engaging their clients. Andrew, what have you noticed there amongst them as you've engaged them around the future and some things we're talking about here?
0: So I've, I've been very impressed and quite frankly proud of some people with whom two months ago I would have never told you that I would feel as strongly as I do about them today. And, but I've, I've also had then circumstances where I've been disappointed in some people with whom I would have expected different as well and what I've the way I've resolved that in my brain to this point because I you know I I wrestle with these things at night or I get frustrated or I I wonder why one human is just so incredible and another one and from my perspective it is not what I say what I would say is this is that and you'll, you'll help me out with my language here, John, because you're yeah. the guy with the PhD. But, you know, within our personality types, we've got the, the individual that we maybe project ourselves to be uh, in terms of, you know, like it's who we want to be. Right. But right. then in times of stress and anxiety uh, and, the, and fight or flight moments, I think all of us just become who in fact we really are.
1: Right. right. And
0: And so that then is the, you know, I've been amazed with who some people really are in this moment. Like they've really risen up or they've really shown incredible leadership or resolve or, um, capacity, amazing capacity. Um, and then there's others where what I believed to be true of them, uh, isn't maybe necessarily, uh, the, the full, the full picture. And, and that's not a, I don't want to make that sound like a con- condemnation of, of any, of any one person in particular. I mean, the, the world is made up of all of all types and we all bring something different to the table, but I, I have certainly been surprised on, on more than one occasion um, because of the, the circumstance that we're in.
1: Right, right. And so, so those surprises, as you say, they are, they are surprises because we discover in each other, strengths and also vulnerabilities right um, where where it is uh, some of the areas where we're vulnerable come to the surface as well I, I part of the challenge as a leader and, and Andrew I know this because of some of the work we've done together that as a leader I know you you've got teams but you actually treat them as individuals right um, each of those people is, is their own entity and I know in our conversation I think it was last week we were having and you were just talking about some of the things you were doing. Um, you, you you do that. So a person who is struggling, who is naturally not coming through, um, how might you treat them differently? Give me any idea on that and let's talk a little bit about those challenges because uh, for me, it is when we faced with fear or threat sorry threat and the fear that is our response, that response can the person either um, we face it and feel in control of self. Then we can deal with it. Or the alternative is we face it and it feels out of control of self. And that's the anxiety. That's when the anxiety will increase for any of us uh, and for all of us in that sense. So for some of your team where the anxiety is there, and it might not even be triggered by the work context. It might be something that's going on in their home context or their family, because uh, there's this, that's where this health threat comes together with the business threat. And provides another number of layers to people's experience. So, just for those people who are struggling, any ideas, thoughts? How do you th- even think about that, or them? I should say.
0: I want to answer that, but then I also there was a I had a check inside yeah, me right. here as I answered that last question. Um, I want to say this. Hmm. So I made the statement about you know some people surprising me for the positive and some people surprise me for the negative. I should make a confession just to help quantify that statement in that yeah. in the last month, I myself have had some negative moments where I've been disappointed in myself too. Right. So I just, I don't want that statement to be heard from the perspective that, you know, I'm looking at some people and I'm going, man, I, I thought this person was going to be different. Yeah. I thought, I would be different in some circumstances as well. And I've done some things I think really well, but I've also been really disappointed with myself with some things too. And, and so I just, I I just want everyone to hear that because I, I didn't like the way that my answer came out as I was re listening to it in my brain. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that, you know, we all are on both sides of the ledger uh, in that, in that conversation. But, but, but I, but I, you know, in from the chair I sit in, I don't see the whole scope of every individual's life. Yes. So what I'm in, intimately aware of is that I might have an individual in my company who, from a performance perspective, right now, from my opinion, I, I could I could be saying, ah, you know, I that person's struggling or maybe not handling this the way I would like to see them handle it. But that person could also be hitting absolute home runs when they're at home right now, dealing with kids who aren't in school and dealing with all the other challenges that come with this circumstance. So I, I'm it's, I'm keenly aware of the fact that I only see uh, one piece of the pie of people's lives. And so I'm, I'm doing my level best to, to just keep that as part of my perspective, keep that in my perspective.
1: Thank you. I, and thank you for going back to yourself right because that's the challenge for every person but if if we're in the role of leading even more so the challenge of it's not like you outside of everything that's going on you're directly in it and you and you you make that so clear so some of there is for ourselves as we face that I love the way you say that uh, part of it you're disappointed in yourself and I think for all of us we can relate to that but it's, it's what makes you Effective as a leader as well, because Andrew, as you disappoint and face that part of you, so if I go back through these things, I was talking about it in terms of team, but very much for the leader, the leader. We're talking about it in terms of you as leader. That part of it is facing yourself. Um, no, I am struggling with with part of this, uh, and that facing it is really important because if I jump over that, I can very easily make assumptions about myself and my own impact in these in, in a difficult time like this but also I make assumptions about the people I'm leading rather than being curious. And so, so I, it's a, it's a, for me, a a great example of where by facing your own vulnerability in this and yeah, and we all got our things we're struggling with, you actually become more aware and sensitive to where others are at. And we don't always understand where others are at, as you say, completely, but this it makes us be curious about what's going on for him or her as they face their challenge. And that's, that's what I see in you as you uh, just came back to my my question around so how do you work with those individuals struggling and I think you've largely answered it because in some way the way through that is your own vulnerability um, and uh, and I, I I was listening to one of your podcasts with uh, four of your team and I noticed there Andrew that you were quite open with them, about your own challenges. What you've just said to us here. Uh, and I, I saw the impact of that. So it wasn't like, um, I've, I'm kind of there guys, just catch up with me. You were right with them. So as you faced it, uh, you were sharing some of the own things that you were struggling with, um, uh, in this, in this situation. And, and that makes the difference.
0: One of, one of my greatest fears, uh, I don't know if I call it a fear, an anxiety, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. But w- w- something that, that just rolls around in my head is um, <laughs> the, that there would ever be a perception that I'm somehow different on a human level than other people in my company. Like, you know, clearly there's some responsibility that falls on me. I, I, I need to have some things figured out and have some things mastered in order to be in the position I'm in, clearly. Yeah. But there's a lot of other stuff that makes up the human that actually has nothing to do with, with running the day-to-day business. But from my chair and my observation in life is people who are in positions ahead of us, you know, whether it's people who run large companies or politicians or whatever, we we have this like terrible habit of almost like deifying these people or, you know, putting them on these pedestals where, you know, because they've, done this incredible thing in this arena, you know, they, they must have all this stuff figured out. Yes. And I have, the, the reason I have an anxiety about that is because I, I mean, I'm just as messed up as anybody else. And, and I never want, I never want to be on that pedestal because I know the crash would be fucking terrible. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Just, you know, right. like, like, yeah, I, yeah. So uh, I do think like, I, I'm not, I, I've got a lot to learn, but, but something I absolutely, Want to be able to do is find this balance of, you know, you need to be the master of of particular areas in order to be the leader, yes. but then I also want to balance that with, um, I, I'm just a human trying to yeah. figure out life. I got three kids, I fuck up all the time, yeah. I, I screw up with my kids, I I screw up with my wife, I'm I you know I, I'm a you know whatever. I, I deal with everything that that, right. that and so, I do want that to come through. Um, because I'm terrified of the perception of me not being that. Uh, because of what I, because of, because of what I've seen play out in society when when that's not the case.
1: So so I mean that that terror, uh, Andrew. You raise a whole lot of beautiful things, right? In a way that when it comes to leadership, <clears throat> being uh, being open to our own. Where we act really as a person, and not putting, like you say, putting yourself on a pedestal, and then for you, worse that others would put you on a pedestal as well. And there's always a bit of that in terms of expectation, like you say. But that that fear, so that so there's not all fear is bad stuff, right? And I think we sometimes in, in a situation like COVID nineteen, sometimes fear or threat gets a bad rap. But but the fear we have for ourselves of Of knowing our vulnerabilities um, and and in a way you're not saying I want to protect myself from that you're saying I want to share that so that people don't put me on the pedestal you still hold yourself to account which is so important I think Andrew but you hold yourself to a high level of account I know that you've said it but I know that from your success that's what successful people are doing you are holding yourself to a standard but you are not in any way pretending you are more than what you really are. That I, tell me, I, do do you think people relate to that? um, Your team members? Yeah. Yeah. I think,
0: I think so. I mean, I I hope so. I, I mean, yeah, let me, I think of it this way. So if I'm the leader of something, I, I think of leadership, in general like this, like not only my circumstance, but if we're talking about, you know, the, the, the coach of a basketball team or a guy who runs a multinational billion dollar company or whatever, I think the right approach to have is, is first of all, an understanding that, that you, you know, even if you're a human who's accomplished great things and you happen to be further ahead financially than, you know, some other people in your company, you still are your personality type and you're only really good at what you're really good at, which tends to be a small fraction of what's required in life. And so uh, I think the leader's number one goal is to find a way to connect with his people and get the most out of them and Mm -hmm. and get the best out of them. And so I think my default, I'm not, you know, I, I don't have a, PhD or an MBA. And, you know, I, I haven't been trained on this stuff, but I've got the, the hard knocks degree. And mm-hmm. my default is um, to connect with humans in a in the most, you know, authentic way possible. And I think what I'm good at, and yet trying to get better at is uh, connection with the purpose of helping them see how amazing they are, and helping them be incredibly productive. Um, you know, I th- I think if anything, what I've come to realize is that, you know, I-, I might be good at some stuff, but I'm only good at a few things. And there's a lot of other things that need doing that need a lot of other people who've got those skills that I don't have.
1: I, yeah, that auth- authenticity makes the difference um, for people. Because if you authentic, Andrew, then the people who are around you that you're serving, that you're supporting, that you're leading, whatever that looks like, there's a greater chance it's okay for them to be themselves, right? And so that they they can be real with you and each other about what it really means to face this. And that's what ultimately what this is about. Um, I mean, can I, I was going to stay on this theme just a little bit longer and then we can go. I mean, we're into the human side as you started with, mm-hmm. right? Uh, quite strongly. Um, but, Andrew, for yourself as a leader, have you learned anything about yourself in this situation? Um, and it might not be new. It might be reinforcing something that you really knew, but just thinking about it. Right. Um, cause like you said a bit earlier, in the face of this kind of level of threat, we can say we are surprised by others, but sometimes we're surprised by ourselves.
0: Yeah. So something that this is going to sound strange and I don't know, I don't know. I'll just say it. I'll spit it out, but, Good. um, I really enjoy um, this high anxiety, high stress moments. So, th- and that's where uh, it's been a bit strange for me to uh, to observe. That's the word. That's not the right word. I want to choose my words properly here. Mm-hmm. I have never felt more alive then when the stakes have been at their highest and when the threat is great and real and people are having a really hard time, I kind of get into the zone where I just lock in. Right. And, and so, you know, there was a couple weeks there in particular when, you know, things were kind of unraveling and no one knew what was going on. And, you know, we had to go through, you know, I had to make some hard decisions and have, it was, it was, it was, it was, you know, 12, 14 hours a day of just, you know, high stress, high anxiety, um, stuff. And it's not like I don't wear that. So I don't want to give the impression that I, that I don't wear that. Make no mistake. It wears on me. But for some reason, I never feel more locked in and more alive than when I'm in that moment. Um, and not to say that doesn't come without a cost too. like in that moment, you know, when I'm totally engaged in what I'm doing and I think it's wonderful, You know, I'm still like that same guy was an asshole to his kid at 830 that night. You know, like I didn't totally figure out. It's not like I figured out how to like get this balance right and be the amazing dad and husband or whatever. (sighs) If anything, what happened was, is there was this like for two weeks, there was this complete selling out to the cause, um, which I really loved. And there was some dialogue. And the, 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 and
1: the cause being the business side of this, right? Yeah. The cause, co- yeah. yeah.
0: The cause being the business side, but also like yeah. it wasn't just, you know, there, I had a lot of conversations with a lot of humans that, that yeah. were, you know, were, were scared mm-hmm. and, and had fear around money or, or, you know, what's going to happen. And I just, you know, there was, I just pressed into that and, and accepted all the, the, the opportunities and, um, I don't know. I just felt like I was, you know, that was the spot. That was the right place for me to be. That, that's where I'm at my best. But at the same time, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily hitting home runs when I was doing bedtime at eight 30, because then what would happen is, is I would turn myself off because I'd go like, okay, I'm done. You know, in yeah. those days, a lot of those days started at seven in the morning and went till, you know, eight thirty at night uh, in the, in the first couple of weeks there. And then I allowed myself to come down. And I did not attack my role as a dad or as a spouse with the same level of intensity that I attacked my other role as. So, you know, you could easily be a part of this conversation and say, Andrew completely dropped the ball and he was an idiot. Like he he was not what he needed to be for his family in that first two-week period in terms of in comparison to what he we did for his 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 company. Right. And so I, I wrestle with this in my brain, but just on a company side and on a business side, I have never felt more alive than in that, than in that first two week period.
1: I mean, I, I I personally can really relate to that. I, I mean, part of the work Andrew knows is, is I work in conflict and give me the conflicts where, where others are fearful to step into. Those are the ones I really, really enjoy. Not, not because of some of the outcomes of some of that conflict, but, but more because, like you say, there's something about that intensity that brings some of the best out of me. But also, there's a cost, right, to, to other areas. Mm-hmm. Andrew, one of the pieces that I'm noticing around this particular crisis where if the, the, part of the uniqueness is we're spending a lot of time with our families, but also working. Right. So, so family and work coming together, like almost enmeshed, like never before. Um, I think often you would find moms in their role would understand that a bit better than than dads. I'm generalizing, but 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 where the roles would overlap quite a lot. But that's happening because we are working out of our homes, right? Um, and so we're there, and people see us, and we're present, and yet we also are not present because of some reasons you just said right there. So that overlap is, is more in our faces and our families' faces than ever before. Uh, and you've just touched on that as well. And you maybe that you've said enough about that, but, but I think that is significant. I think it gives one more complexity, understandably, to, to manage. Just a quick one on that. Are you, or is there anything that you're doing that is helping you a bit now um, in managing that that interface of your, you in your role in terms of leading a business and a business with some complexity. I mean, your particular industry is, is fairly hard hit right now in this, uh, you know, you yeah. In this crisis, uh, and families are you, yeah. Is there anything there that might be valuable to, for those listening?
0: Um, yeah, so I've, I've done some practical things. That, I mean, I don't know if people care to hear this or not, but, uh, you know, just practically speaking, I've, I've had to, I, I've tried to schedule my days around, uh, you know, when I need a lot of quiet, or be able to concentrate, I've, I've tried to create those kinds of appointments at the same time that my kids are doing their their school. So, the, you know, the way that we've set things, so my house tends to be quieter from about, you know, nine in the morning or 830 in the morning until about noon or shortly thereafter. And yeah. then at that time, they're done doing what they're doing. And my wife's done because, you know, (laughs) she's done and I, and I understand it. And so then the house gets louder and there's more. so then I I just, you know, things like, you know, zoom calls, important conversations, whatever I'm trying to do in the first half of the day. That's just a practical thing. Um, from a, uh, human psychological management, whatever the word you want to use, like just in terms of the, the dealing of the dynamic with my kids being in the home and seeing me, uh, number one, I would say there isn't a perfect answer. Like I, I don't have a perfect answer, but what I, the conclusion I've come to is that in the mind of a child, like their lens is completely different than my lens. And it's, and it's unrealistic. If I'm physically in the home, I can scream at them and look at them and say, listen, dad's working from eight until five. You have to leave me alone. But that's, that's ridiculous. Like they're just, they're, they're not going to, that, that's an adult brain trying to have a conversation with a non-adult brain. That's just not going to work. So I've just, you know what, every day is different. And I try to get, I try to, if I can run outside and shoot hoops with my, one of my kids for 20 minutes uh, mm-hmm. because I can squeeze it in between calls and I do it. You know, there was another, even a couple nights ago, I went for a walk with one of my daughters for like 35 minutes uh, because I had time for it, you know, before dinner um, early on in the, uh, in that when things were really tense and high there in the first couple of weeks before we, you know, there was a lot of unknowns. I was taking uh, my daughters in particular, I took them for drives. Um, and even on some of those drives, I did take phone calls uh, you know, like if it's something I had to deal with, but we were physically together and um, it was just some time spent together. And I, I found that was necessary. It was too much of an ask to say to them, you know, I'm around all day, but you have to leave me alone. Like that just wasn't. I tried that and and failed miserably and realized, okay, that strategy is not going to work.
1: Andrew, I what I I what I value in what you the way you think about the world and yourself and those you love and those you serve in your business is um, you you you're okay to go into the inner track of it. And so I to me leadership is more about the inner track. And what I mean by the inner track is that. The things that go on inside of our heads while we engage the people around us, right? Uh, and and those things are either moving us forward towards um, more successful, or um, or not. And part of the moving forward is is actually dealing with the reality of what's of what's going on inside of us, um, uh, and and times sharing that with those around us, right? In, in a way that that actually helps them. So, I mean, I think the example with your, your children is, is a good one. I mean, I just want to, can we go back, if that's okay, back to where you started here around talking about the human side of this journey and, and most of our conversation probably because of my and, and your bias and has mm-hmm. has tracked in that direction because your your business strategy is actually well-grounded on a, on a people strategy, uh, on connecting with those that you serve in the role. Um, just just going back a step to understanding where people are at under threat, right? Um, and so we, we've got a common threat right now and people are responding to it. And so it's very much in our psyche. It's, it's in our minds. We're thinking about it and so on. But threat is normal. It's, it's a normal part of life. It's almost daily life. There are things that we are we are responding to, um, but the whole idea of how do we take how do we keep agile? How do we keep an agile team, an agile in ourselves, agile in the way we think and approach be able to move um, uh, when in fact we're under threat? Because as I started, the challenge is is our brains are telling us when there's threat, you need to you need to you know get down. Uh, either get out of this thing very quickly or fight it or you're going to freeze. You're going to do nothing because you need that just for the moment. So that's the normal thing, the way we are geared to respond. And yet we need agility. Um, so what I have seen in your approach in, in this conversation is you are very clear about yourself under threat. So you don't pretend that you're in another place in a different place. And what that gives your team is what we call technically immediacy. And immediacy is being really present. So it's being present with people, um, not over them, um, but with them. Um, So you're not a supreme commander. It's not command and control. You're actually coaching and you're alongside. Now that I know is your style anyways. I mean, there are times when we all would need to command. And even in this one, where you pick up and say, hey, this is the way we're going to approach it. That can look like a command. There's actually people also need clear direction at points in this. So just going back to to the human side of this and, and dealing with threat and trying to keep your team agile, are there any other points you might want to throw in at this one around how you've done that? And I think we've covered a number from my perspective of key ones. But anything else, Andrew, that might be valuable to other leaders listening to this, um, uh, anyone listening to this who's uh, not just facing the COVID threat, this might be after that threat that they listen to this, but just facing the normal threats we come across in life.
0: I'll start by saying something specific about COVID, and maybe that'll spill into another thought. But to me, this COVID thing has been unique in that the manifestation of the problem for most people has become a financial stress, right? Most people aren't sick. Most people aren't going to die. That's overwhelmingly so actually. Yes. Yet the driver of this whole thing is a health risk and a health risk stands outside the lines of standard business logic and practices. Right. So if somebody ever, so if somebody ever came to me and said, Andrew, there's a risk in your business and the risk in your business is that, you know, you got to whatever, whatever percentages you want to throw around for COVID. I know you can argue those all day long, but yeah. you know, you got, you got a 90, you got a 99% chance of survival and a 1% chance of you're gonna make it. I mean, you wouldn't even get past ten seconds in that conversation. I'd walk away. I said, I don't, I'd go. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I'll take those odds all day long. Next, I'm talking about the next thing. So we've got this, but we so we've got this thing that's driving this economic crisis that we're not allowed to provide standard logic to. And right. and I, I realize now I'm probably walking into territory that you know where I have the ability to set people off. But, um, so, and, and I say that because, so for the first two weeks, the mentality that everybody had to adopt was just stop, you know, like stop doing what we're doing. Everybody just shut down completely. Hmm. And, um, and you know, that, that needed to be what everybody did. But then now what's, what's unique and weird is that, you know, as we, we get deeper into this thing and the, and the numbers have started to, you know, we've got our own data and, you know, people are using terminology like, you know, the curve is flattening and, you know, we're maybe better off than we thought we were going to be. And then you hear dialogue around, you know, they're talking about reopening some things in the next few weeks. Now you've got this broad dispersion in society of strong opinions. You got right. some people who think we still need to be living like in our bunkers, in our houses and not moving. And they'll give you every great reason as to why that's the case. And then you got other people who say, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Life should be going on as normal. And, um, and this, is, this is, you know, and, 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 you know, both of those people will argue each other till they're blue in the face and they'll all have their own data that they can use for the argument. But when you got an organization of, you know, whether it's 20 or 250 people you've got a dispersion of all of those, that whole range within your company. And so I think what's been an interesting challenge is at some point in time, the company has to set sail and decide what path it's going to take. And that path is not always going to appease the, the wide range of opinions. And um, so I will just say that that's a, that's a unique thing Maybe it's not unique to this circumstance, but it feels unique because it's unusual to me to have business decisions being driven by health directives that are outside of our areas of expertise.
1: So so what you, I, I really, I like the way we've gone to looking back at the perspective of what's really going on from a number of angles. Because Andrew, you make a really key point. I and mean, one of the things we can predict with certainty is the conflict around this is going to increase, right? It's really yeah. increasing. In the last week or Absolutely, so, and yep. it's pretty increasing. Right? So it's going to increase. Within your organization, one of the challenges all leaders will have, uh, particularly those who are restarting if you want or, or re, re, re gearing up their businesses again if, that's, if they've needed to change it, uh, is how do you do that? How do you manage that conflict within your business, right? You make a key point because I think not only for within, but the clients you serve, particularly in your area, in, in the in the real estate area, you, you, area, area, you you are, you have clients who would fit the same categories, right? Who would be bunkering down and hunkering down at all costs, and others would be saying, "What are we doing this for?" So, so even the presumption that it's that it's one or the other is a problem as well. So, so your businesses need to meet that. Any thoughts on that? And I don't know how far you've gone down, but let's try a little bit around that thinking. How do you, as a leader, surface? Uh, you know my philosophy. I love to build capacity for conflict. Um, so I don't always believe in conflict resolution. I think it's a misnomer. We should resolve all conflicts. I think some conflicts actually need to be carefully. It's almost like um, a counterfire. if you're going to, as part of fire control, is you actually start a counterfire. To, to help to manage the fire. So so conflict uh, to me, what's more important than be able to resolve conflict is actually the capacity to deal and manage with it. So, so we're dealing with that right now. So any thoughts on your business, on how you might do that, Andrew? And, and I'll, I'll throw in some ideas as we go.
0: So specific to COVID or just in general?
1: Uh, probably COVID because it's a nice example, like you're saying, right? because you've got these, you're gonna have, and you said it quite nicely, in your business are gonna be these two approaches do we open up or keep closed down, right? No matter what's going on around us, it, it's going to come, the conflict around that's going to increase, not decrease.
0: Yeah, so the way I would frame that conversation is I would do it in this, and, and this is, you know, we're, we're now coming to a place where we're grappling with the fact that we're going to be doing more business in the next month than we did in the previous month, more than likely, right? So, so, so the way I would frame it as this is that you know, we have a couple different responsibilities. I mean, we, we have a, you know, we have, we're responsible to, um, you know, to be safe and to maintain social distancing and to, you know, do everything that we possibly can within our control to, to take all the necessary, you know, safety measures. But I would also say that I have a responsibility economically to every person in my company to help them, buy groceries, feed their families, pay their bills, and and financially thrive. And so in this reopening of the economy, there's going to be early adopters and laggards, you know, people who move slower. Just as in the closing down of the economy, there was people who moved quicker
1: right. and slower.
0: Right. And I will say this, in the closing down we moved faster than any of our competition
1: right right
0: in the reopening though i intend to move faster than or or as fast as would be deemed safe and and i would say because we have to hold in conflict to use your language there 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 has the potential to be conflict between you know those two opposing opinions and so i think i we have a responsibility to do all of those things that we discussed but then there's this financial responsibility uh, i mean nowhere nowhere in this conversation at least not very loud but nowhere in this conversation in the last month that that i've seen is you know talk around the cost financially psychologically you know that that we've created here that we will deal with for years to come. I mean, the effort has been to save lives today, which all makes sense, and and I you know I, I I agree with. But we will pay. There will there will be a debt that we pay for this, and that debt is going to come in the form of anxiety and depression, suicide. You know, mental health, uh, marriages, uh, greater levels of abuse. I mean, we know there's early data on domestic disputes and, and violence within families I mean there there is all kinds of things tied to this and so all I can say is that I see you know I've got two responsibilities and and, and the, the latter part of my responsibilities is I need to figure out a way to help everyone in my company thrive financially as quickly as possible while still being as safe as possible
1: and I it kind of circles back to where probably where we started. Andrew here in that a part of how do you prepare a team as a leader? How do you prepare your team to do what Andrew's talking about, which is to be ready and waiting and, and, uh, and able to act um, and to read things well, because part of the challenge when under threat is we, we tend to, and you said it earlier very well, Andrew, where we tend to highlight certain things. And you really said that in relation to health. So a lot of the information is filtered through the health framework, understandably, for what you've said. Mm -hmm. But it's also quite limiting in terms of the impact, and you've said it in in different words to me, the impact of that filtering is having not just on tomorrow, but on the decisions we're making now, on, on the way we even think about the information. So it's been filtered to us. So agile teams are looking for opportunity, are looking around are exploring what that might be and uh, and the reality is right now we don't know because this thing is evolving quite quickly I've already noticed it's the the opening updates have been coming closer rather than extending out they were for two weeks ago going further and further out now now it's having the reverse and they're talking about differentiated opening of businesses and services and so on so it's it's the agile team and uh, So from my perspective, just hearing you, Andrew, and listening about what you're doing in your business and in your team, I think you're building some of the basic foundations for it because what you've got here is you are being real about it. You are facing what I call the tension between the actual reality and hope for the future, the possibilities of how this could be. You're not living in either. Um, You actually are keeping the tension between reality and and what could happen Uh, and you're not just holding it yourself you actually are sharing that as best you're able to with the people that you lead so and they're sharing with you that that way forward is quite important because as you do that the opportunities and possibilities will open up because you've got diverse input into your decision making around how, when, around the specific issue about how, when, and open up, but also how, and how would you, and I know I heard this on one of your other conversations on your podcast where your team was talking about, so how will you currently, tomorrow, and in this uncertain future, how does serving the people you serve, current and future, what does it look like? How's it going to change? And that is all to do with you keeping your team agile.
0: Yeah, you triggered something there in my mind yeah. that I want to I, I wanna make sure I, I, I say. So I'm sure every industry is, you know, I'll just speak for our industry, but, you know, yeah. we, are, we have now been forced into adapting, and then through this adapting process, we've, you know, done things differently. And no question, we're going to now do some things differently forever. Like we're not going back to the way we used to yes. do it, and it's taken this experience to show us, you know, that that not only like maybe this was painful, but this is better, right. and and we're gonna keep and, and and we're gonna we're gonna keep doing this. But what you triggered, and what I want to say is this: it, every you know business book, coaching thing I've ever been a part of, you know, you'll always hear people say, you know, um, hire great people you know, surround yourself with great people. And, and, you know, that's all you ever need. And, and, you know, without quantifying, I mean, that can just sound like a gray statement. That's hard to quantify. The next question would be, well, how do you know who's great and how do you hire someone great? And, you know, whatever. And I'm not saying I have all the answers or have that figured out, but what I can say beyond any doubt today is that in my company, I have some incredible people And how, not that I didn't think that before, but I'll I'll just share one example of what I would say is a practical example of knowing if you've got somebody great is, you know, we've had a a few, a number of circumstances like this, but one circumstance very recently here in the last, it was literally within the last week is, you know, we've got all kinds of changes going on within our industry and, you know, we're making shifts with how we deal with some of our, you know, other companies that we deal with and, and billing and, and, you know, budgets and whatever. And so there was something that we wanted to shift without getting into the details that was going to create a significant problem for our, um, our accounting and finance department, because it was going to upend the way they do something. And if for anyone who works in a department like that, you know, you'll understand that you have your programs and your systems and your data entry, and it all kind of flows a certain way. And if you, you throw a wrench in that, from the perspective of someone like me with my brain, I can just look at it and go, well, what the hell's the problem? Like just make it work. But, but I, without even a full understanding of what I'm, what I'm asking to be done. This is how you know you have someone great. When you realize the, the, the size of the wrench that you're throwing into the issue and you're in that moment and then, you know, you're in that meeting and you're, you're talking about said issue and the person who this affects the most recognizes the significance of the company to be able to make that change. Hmm. And then rather than pushing back on everybody in the meeting, looks at everybody in the meeting and says, you know what? I'm going to figure out a way to make that work. Yeah. And everybody just goes on to the next and, but it's not lost on me. That statement that that person made, that is such a pain in the ass for it's that right. individual. Right. But that individual is just, so bought into the cause that they just go, you know what, we're going to figure this out. And I, I've had like, man, I've just had so many circumstances like that in the last month where I've seen my people put in situations where, you know, they're being asked to to do something that's unusual or like, you know, build the plane while it's in the air to use the analogy. And, and for the most part, all of my closest, best people have just had that attitude. They've just said, you know what? I'm going to figure it out. I'll get back to you. I'm going to figure it out. And so, you know, I can take credit for some of that. I certainly can't take credit for all of that. Um, and, you know, there's other people that have been around in the company longer than I have. And, it, you know, they're here long before I showed up. And But um, I, can, I can certainly call them out and say, well, shit, I, I'm maybe not totally responsible for all of them being here. But I it doesn't mean I can't say, wow, I know that that, that individual is um, is incredible. And so on your to your question of, you know, how do you adapt? I don't know how I would adapt if I didn't have those type of people. Yes. I think it's impossible because I think that the the only way you do adapt is when each of your each of your people decides that they're able to adapt. and i can just imagine like i've had other staff members before i've been worked with other people where th- there's no way in hell they're changing the program on their computer that they've had for 14 years. Mm-hmm. right? like they're just they're just not changing let alone, you know, a circumstance like this. so you know, i would say ad- ad- adapting is possible when you've got people who are who are, who are just, who are great and who are willing to do it. And then really what you're doing is you're just trying to get the best out of them.
1: Yeah. Uh, probably a good, good note to finish on Andrew, because this conversation just simply because you sum it up so beautifully. Um, it It's not dependent on you. It's dependent on those around you that you, you're helping to support so they can bring their best best game to the table, their best decision, their best approach finding whatever it is and uh and and we, um, from my side we've covered a number of layers to that um i i just want to acknowledge you uh, from my side I, I always i i've always looked forward to my conversations and all the context we've worked together i i i look forward to those my conversations with you because the approach you take has always got some different angles on it which i, I find really intriguing and and exciting and you, but you always always care and focus on um, with accountability and responsibility uh, the people that are part of your business and it's one of the re- one of the key reasons not the only one but one of the key reasons why why you're successful. So from my side, thank you.
0: Well, I always feel good when I talk to you, John. So thanks for making <laughs> so thanks for making me feel good. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's good.
0: Okay, hey, well, we'll uh, right. I guess we'll do this again sometime.
1: Yeah.